0: Hello, good morning, good evening, good afternoon to wherever you're listening to us from. This is Red, White, and Brown with ACs.Lives, Shria, Mira, and Michael. And that's right. I said Shria because Shriya is back this week. After all that hiatus, yes, everyone, I am back. And we have a stacked lineup for you this week we actually have five shows and movies that we want to review for you guys so stay until the end because we're going to get into some of netflix's chart toppers this week actually yeah we're going to be covering never have i ever season three indian matchmaking but we're going to start off actually with lal singh chadda then we're going to transition right into mind the malhotra too and we'll end with raksha then before we get into everybody's favorites so mira michael tell me guys what is lal singh chadda about
1: you yeah, want me I to mean to do the
0: 30,000 or Michael you want to do the
2: 30,000? Well you know I've definitely seen the Tom Hanks version of this movie quite a classic when I was growing up so you know hearing that there would be you know kind of a Bollywood remake of this film I was certainly pretty excited however I will say it seems that like just for the viewer who may have not seen this before Lost in Shada is a remake of the Tom Hanks Force Gump and so that movie is pretty much just recounting the story of a man from whenever he was a child all the way into his years, his crazy life story. Um, And *Lal Singh Shada is an attempt to essentially remake that before um, the Bollywood audience. And with this too, there's also a little bit of like Indian twist with it. So of course, in the original, he served in the American military. And this one, we have our character serving um, in the military as well for his respective country. But it kind of took, in my opinion, a little bit of a lazy attempt to really recreate this. It kind of seemed to me that they were really just kind of going by the Forrest Gump playbook and recreating scene by scene by scene, and then just putting it in the Indian twist whenever they needed to um, have that in there. Kind of, I think they're trying to make it into like a little bit of a tearjerker as well, but it just wasn't quite landing for me. It, it kind of came off as a little as a little cheesy. Um, and I, I just don't think there were things that really, you know, you can redo and have the same exact effect. Uh, I think the story overall is great. I think they can definitely, you know, take that story and apply it to something else. But when you're watching this as like a Forrest Gump remake, it's really hard to beat the original. So, Mira, I'd love to hear your take on this.
0: And Mira was just about to give us her take on Lal Singh Chedda. So, Em, um, what do you think? Well, what I think is that though this is
1: an adaptation of *Forest Gump, the book, *Forest Gump, the movie, um, it is a very lazy adaptation. And I'll tell you why I thought it was lazy. It was lazy because, um, number one, they've just picked up scenes. They even picked up camera pans from the original. And if you watch the original and you watch this, You'll see that scenes are just lifted from the Paramount movie and just fitted into the Indian context for new actors and the the dialogues are just kind of copied from the original And, and just, you know, even the camera angles are copied at times. The only thing different here is, of course, the characters. For example, they've completely butchered Jenny's character. They completely butchered Lal's character as well, because in the OG, um, Tom Hanks' character, Forrest Gump, was, was on the autism spectrum. Over here, they haven't really tackled the autism with such sensitivity. They've literally made him a carry catcher, literally, a carry catcher. Which, as I thought was, was very distasteful and very shallow to that extent. It was very insensitive to people on the autism border. Um, then, then of course, this entire drama there were, you know, uh, things that were Indianized. Of course, they need to Indianize. They need to localize the content. But when you're localizing the content, there are aspects of the script um, that that were left out. For example, they completely did not make it political because obviously they didn't want to fall. Um, you know, politically incorrect in India, um, but um, uh, but 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 you know, on the whole, I thought the chemistry between Lal and Rupa was missing. That entire, uh, you know, the 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 journey is completely different, and and it, it's not a fault. Rupa Rupa's character arc is zero; it's flat. Uh, They eliminated one of the most exciting parts of the original movie. Um, Then, of course, Lal Singh Chaga as Khan, uh, he had to be digitally enhanced to to look in his 20s for most of the movie. But then they did that to his body as well. And I thought that was completely, you know, it stuck out as an enhancement throughout. And I just couldn't take my eyes off it. You know, it just stuck in my head and it continue to stick in my head like a sore thumb for the majority of the movie. Um, on the whole, a very lazy adaptation, very, um, the direction is like, you know, it, it's like the original totally. And, and you know, it's it's a feel good film in the end. But if you were to compare the two, which most of people are because it is a remake and it falls under the category, Uh, it's nowhere near the the original, just nowhere. The adaptation is so lazy that, uh, you know, uh, it just spoiled the beloved movie for me.
0: Sure. I think in Indian film, we have seen this history where, for example, if you guys have watched a Disney show, have you guys ever seen the comedic Disney shows where they take popular Americanized shows? Like they'll take your Zack and Cody, they'll take your Hannah Montana's, and then they'll remake it in like a Hindi version with like, Indian characters and it's not like good luck Charlie it's like I don't know good luck Shristi or something something like that it gives those vibes it really does because it's like uh I want to take everything you have directed I want to take everything you've making and just like turn it Indian just a little bit Indian make the characters a little more Indian make the jokes a little more Indian and completely assume that it will appeal to the Indian audience regardless of whether they can understand the context of the situation or not so Again, those shows, even though they may be a hit, they are always, always, always fall flat on the main concepts and the main morals of the story that, like, the originals were trying to portray. So you can always say that they're a lazy remake, but Disney you are making millions, so who are we to really tell you, right? Hello, hello, hello. We are back when we are Red, White, and Brown from They finished reviewing Lal Singh Chanda for you, but... We've decided that that's not enough. So we're going to keep going and we're going to give you Mind the Malhotra 2. M. what is it about? Let us know. Well,
1: it's a sitcom-style series. And this is the second season of the series. In the first season, we saw the dynamics between this family. The The man of the family, rishabh is a real nice guy who's kind of cute and dumb. <laughs> His wife is a firecracker. Uh, her name is um, Chef uh, in, the, in the series. And they have three kids. They have two daughters. The older one is a a nerd and she wants to go to Harvard. The second one is, is a social media influencer who literally, you know, has all the social media. I mean, her life depends on social media. She's that dependent. And they have a son, Yug, who uh, actually is an environmentalist. He's all for saving the planet. But you know, as this generation is, I have, I'm sorry to bring it to you, but he doesn't understand what saving the environment is all about. He just go to protest and you know wear leaves and do stuff that are environment friendly. But you know, he designs a wedding that's environment friendly and is like, well, this will be all powered by solar panels. And his dad's like, how much are the solar panels gonna cost? And he has no idea. So it's that kind of a kid, and so this is a st- second season of this family and um, family's uh, story, and it's it's a real warm, fuzzy, funny ten, 10 episodes on Prime. And what I really like about it is, like, you get those sitcom feels <laughs> that you know. It's a really cute. Their, their their entire energy is cute now. In this uh, season, Chef has a YouTube channel uh, for cooking, and she picks up a totally public fight with another another YouTube channel owner over the recipe of butter chicken. <laughs> and it is crazy. That entire fight is crazy. While Rishab is waiting for a Japanese merger of his company that he's running for his father with somebody else, uh, with, with a Japanese company. And the consultant to the Japanese company it happens to be this guy, also called Rishab, and he's the ex-boyfriend of his wife. So he gets so insecure and nervous. And those scenes are so funny because, you know, they're obviously comfortable. His wife and old Rishiv are so comfortable that the husband really, you know, he has, he follows them around. He tries to figure out what's going to happen. He's so insecure about his life. And then there's Mother-in-law, who's literally, her husband's dead. It's been years. And she's moving on with another, another person. So she's having this illicit affair with another guy. And she had, the, the sister, daughter-in-law catches them and the daughter-in-law knows. But, um, you know, they don't know how to tell it to the son because he'll freak out. And he finally finds them dating. And, oh, my God, it is so funny. It is so funny. But what I really liked about the series was they go to a therapist to sort their issues out. That's one. So they completely normalize mental health plans for that secondly they don't judge their children they uh, the uh, the the younger daughter who's a social media influencer is is confused whether she's but bi- you know she's bi-curious so because her best friend kissed her and then she has a boyfriend called rocky who's dumb as rock <laughs> they don't pressure her to make a decision or tell her what to do they'll leave it at for, uh, leave it at for her to figure out and they're like you know, figure it out. We're here for you, irrespective of you, who you choose to love. And I thought that was amazingly well done. So again, and then uh, the dad figures out that somebody in the family is pregnant and they can't figure out. Who. So,
2: this so a just, lot of I mean, just... he
1: doesn't freak out and he doesn't scream and shout and they're like, all right, let's figure out who's pregnant for us actually dance his mother so so funny anything i'm not gonna have a brother and his daughter's like maybe it's a sister so i mean it is so funnily put together this series is gold
0: and we wanted to wish all the brothers and sisters out there a happy belated raksha bandhan apparently there is actually some anniversary it is what like the 75th celebration of it like ever since inception
1: or something. No, no, no! That's the seventy-fifth year of Indian independence, oh and God. Raksha Bandhan's been going on forever. So um, I don't know if Michael, you know what Raksha Bandhan is. So it's a festival, and traditionally, yeah. what used to happen in Raksha Bandhan was the sisters used to tie a thread. It was it was like thread, okay. um, a decorated thread, on the wrists of their brothers, and it was symbolic of. Um, the fact that the brothers have to take care of the sisters and have to protect the sisters, but uh, w- we all think it's highly sexist that brothers have to protect uh, the sisters and sisters can't protect brothers. So now sure. the festival, festival, especially in in bigger uh, towns in urban 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 places, has evolved into sisters tying it to sisters, brothers tying it back to sisters. So kind of, it's kind of evolved itself into a festival of celebration of bonds, of sibling bonds.
2: Yeah.
1: Right? So so you, you would even tie the cousins. And so so you kind of, it's kind of evolved for urban population, but for a lot of rural population, this festival is still big, Raksha Bandhan. And it is the festival where, you know, brothers, um, um, they pledge to protect the sisters. So Gone is why sisters need, you know the protection so this movie is actually called raksha bandhan and raksha bandhan you know is um is the the the, the, the bandhan means relationship so the relationship of protection um, and raksha bandhan is also the festival and it's also the thread it's called rakhi the thread that's tied
0: yeah. Uh, by the sisters to the brothers. You don't necessarily have to do it between anybody who's siblings either. For example, I have no siblings and I don't have cousins near me that, like, are are male. Are, um. And so I have, like, friends who kind of, I would say, like, step into, like, a brother kind of territory for me. So I actually celebrated Rocky for the first time with one of my friends who I consider one of my brothers. So you can, you can do it with people who you, like, believe that you have familial ties to. So if Absolutely. we were together... Michael, I would have tied a Rocky for you on Rock. I would have tied a Rocky for you, and we would have asked you to tie a Rocky to us as well. That's so we can protect you, you
2: know. Got it. I need, by the bit. way,
0: yeah, money. I'm just saying, yeah, the brothers
1: <laughs> had have to go off of presents and money for the sisters.
0: That, so, yeah, that's, that's a, a deal. <laughs> That's where we draw the line on feminism, you know, Michael. You have to be the one to give us money.
2: Like, we don't give a Michael's Perfect. Michael's
1: face is like, you know, right now, Michael said, like, oh gosh, I got pie zoned. I'm like, what
2: <laughs> that am I getting myself into?
1: <laughs> so, pie hi means brother, and you just got brother zoned. <laughs>
2: Sorry.
0: <laughs> but let's talk about the movie. Michael, tell us what you thought. Yeah, I mean, Michael tells us what we what he thinks. Let me tell you what it's about. So, if you guys know Akshay Kumar, which you probably should, he plays Lala, a chat seller in Old Delhi, and much like this Victorian society of Bridgerton, Lala is in this kind of like predicament of finding husbands for his four sisters, and yes, he has four sisters, and making sure he has enough funds to pay for their dowries. So he kind of promised his mother on on um, her deathbed that he's like, you know, I won't marry myself like I will marry someone I will not put my marriage in before the marriage of my other sisters because he wants to put the focus on them he has made that wish to her or like fulfilled or said he would fulfill her dying wish that he would make sure they are married off before he chooses to settle down so he keeps his love interest Safna, waiting the whole time while he is kind of looking for marital matches. And Sapna's father, of course, is at this ultimatum where he's saying that Lala has six months to get all of the sisters married. Because of course, the key is also the father of of a girl and he understands the territory or society's perception on getting females married when they're younger. So what kind of follows in that story is this excruciatingly like obvious, I want to say so-called comedy. It's prodding fun at lawless seemingly like unmarriable sisters or unmarriageable sisters but the exception is that the older sister Gayathri who's played by Sadia Khatib who's like really traditionally beautiful and she's obedient and she kind of gives off this like Indian daughter-in-law vibe that you really want um, or at least they really want and next in line is Durga who's played by Deepika Khan she is a beast then lakshmi who's played by smriti Srikanth, i believe is actually dark skinned and thus she's regarded as ugly all of these things uh, about these other three sisters are regarded as traditionally ugly in india and the youngest Saraswati, is like a very spirited tomboy and she's played by i want to say Jameen kar i hope i'm pronouncing her name properly but
2: well, and let me just let me let me just say too like this movie was in some hot press recently and honestly rightfully so because there were a lot of scenes in this that made me very very uncomfortable watching just like the different stigmas that were in play and didn't really seem like they were trying to you know progress those at all it actually seemed like they were regressing these stigmas or bringing back uh the stigmas and kind of making them seem normalized i think that this film just really took a bad approach um towards you know potentially being a feminist movie I'm, I'm i'm not even quite sure like it was very it was very hard to tell with some of the some of the jokes that they were playing some of the like i said the stigmas and stereotypes that they were bringing um upon the women that were in these shows and no real like call to action within the film to really address those like appropriately they just kind of like left them there uh and made it seem like that it was okay so it, it was it was hard to watch um, personally you know, obviously not a big fan and, you know, M, I don't know if you have any closing thoughts on that note.
1: Well, you know, there are two ways to show a change of heart, you know, not only change of heart, but there's two ways to to bring societal change. One way is you, you show how bad the society is and you see the people change for the better to change the society or change the thinking. The other is don't show that. The way this movie can just go for the changed, like mind the Malotras. They're not showing the bad stuff in the society. They're just showing how people have evolved. And that is a positive way of affirming people. That's a positive way of telling people that this is cooler than what you're thinking. But telling, but 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 this entire movie for 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 the better part of two hours of this runtime, it was actually it actually invited the audience to laugh along at really cringeworthy jokes about women appearances about women choices about women rights and they, 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 they it, it was built to to actually make fun of the color of of their of their thought process of their personalities which wasn't cool and it was cringeworthy. Even though, you know, enter the thing he has a change of heart and he completely, you know, changes himself and changes his thought process. What's the point? You've already shown two hours of cringeworthy material where women have been laughed at and you've invited the audience to laugh at those jokes about color and about skin and about, you know, other aspects of their personality. And then education. It didn't seem like education was anywhere, you know, spoken about in that entire movie. But also, what really hit me the hardest was ultimately they got married. Why is marriage such an important milestone for Indian movies? Why did you have to know? I mean, his sister's married. Why was marriage so important in the first place? Why does everything become okay when girls get married? Even after his change of heart, the girls still get married. Why? It was so toxic to really give the message that I'm a changed person, but, you know, all the girls are married. What the hell?
0: I think the problem with this movie was not not even the concept of the way was told, but the way was written, right? It's written from the perspective of there's something wrong with these people and they must correct it for the sake of getting married at the end of the day. But I'm like, throughout the process of the story, what you're doing is pointing out flaws that are not even considered flaws, instilling in the audience's mind that something is wrong. And then instilling either the fact that these girls must change or someone else must change in order to accept them. I'm like, or from the beginning, you can just say, these girls want to get married. This is who they are. This is what they are. And we will find people. If the end goal of this point of this whole movie is marriage, we will find people that already appreciate like whatever they are. We're not looking to go around changing people because it's this concept of normalizing these behaviors. Right? You are you are actively telling the audience that something is wrong and we must change to to accept them but I'm like if they're normalized from the beginning and you don't act like anything is wrong from the start because nothing really is wrong from the start you this whole movie could have had a completely different like take on the idea of like Indian takes on obesity or fairness or whatever it's like that time where I watched this y'all I'm gonna go on on. uh I'm gonna insert that um you know in everybody's favorite fair and lovely in India that they all of a sudden were like they changed their name to like Glow and Lovely or something, but in yeah, the ad, but they basically the product, had, is,
1: the product still exists.
0: Still exists. That's the issue. That's the issue. The product
1: still the, exists. The issue That's was in the change the, the chain, advertising. advertising and the name of it. The thing, the fact of the matter is, the product still exists. And you know, there's a product for men that Shahrukh Khan used to advertise with. I called, feel like a lot of it them. It's called to ha- uh, Fair and Handsome. So, so just getting God. fairer. It's yeah. such, a, such a regressive undertone, but that con- in that country, that sells. And what they've done in this movie is just created another... It's Shumura. another
0: version of it. It's it's like, it's not the point of changing the name, changing the heart. Why does it exist in the first place? Why do you need to point out these things? I was like, what was wrong with these girls in the first place? They were perfectly fine women. And now you're giving the audience a reason to believe like some of them are wrong or something is wrong. And someone needs to change to accept them. Like just I would, have accepted, accepted. I would have
1: accepted this story had the brother himself been okay. And the people around him would have had those thoughts. And the brother would have fought for his sister. I would be okay with that twist to the story with that version of the story but how regressive of course akshay kumar is a fine actor and you see him you know but he's fine i mean you have to give it to him he's a very fine actor to pull this right it will such a regressive character lal his name is also lal by the way he did lala he's not lal he's lala but yeah he pulled such a regressive character um all all the props to him but such a badly told movie that it just breaks my heart it just it made me cringe that I wanted to walk out of the theater um, gosh just ugh, too I much. think it's kind of
0: tone deaf to bring something like this back in 2020. I won't lie I thought we moved past the like, people's weight issues i thought we moved past the dark issues i thought we moved past the like people's expression to the clothes they wear i thought we moved past the like you have to be obedient daughter-in-law thing like i thought i really thought we moved past that by 2022 but it seems like we're bringing that not probably
1: we're not because this movie does exist and it's bombed at the box office as usual so
0: Hello, 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 everybody. We are back with Red, White, and Brown by Daisy's at Live, Shri and Michael. I hope you didn't go anywhere because we are not going anywhere until we tell you about the chart-topping hit this week on Netflix, Never Have I Ever, season three. Yes, we get Crazy Davey back. We get Paxton. We get Ben. We get Ben's relationship with Anissa. We get everybody questioning their sexuality and their gender and losing their virginity, and yes, all of it's back for season three, but... We also get a really nice new hottie, Dez, who is at the top of our hunk hot list for this week. He is so fine. He is so fine. That man is so good looking. But everybody forewarned, he is taken. Uh, we did our research. We wanted to make sure that you guys had that information because we know that's what we really care about. Kidding. Anyway, in season three of Never Have I Ever, we see a little bit more of Davy's relationship with Paxton. So now that it's Official, actually, they go like public with it. They're seen around school with it, or they see seen it together in school, and it stirs up a bunch of drama in Davy's life. Not intentionally, I feel like she brings that upon herself because she cares so much about what other people think about her relationship with Paxton. So she overhears some girls in a bathroom saying, "Like, oh, she must put out in order to have him." Like like her and she tries to prove that by you know losing her virginity to him but then she decides that she just can't do it and paxton's super nice about it actually wildly enough he's like even though they build him up to be this kind of like complete jerk in the series who's just is ready to go with anyone that's willing to sleep with him he's actually like hey i don't want to put you in any kind of uncomfortable situation and even though i feel like paxton changes for davy davy has a lot of trouble coming to terms with his change because She simply one i think that he has a given track record of being messy so that's fair on her side but two i don't think davy has fully come to terms with herself in order to really be in a fulfilling and meaningful relationship with someone else now plot twist before she even gets to understand and decide what's going on with her ben and anisa have some problems even fabiola have some problems and apparently trent and eleanor are now together like there's so many issues that are going on in other people's relationships that people start breaking up. People start getting with each other. And now Davey, instead of focusing on herself yet again, is thrown into like a, do I like him? Do I want him back? And then like all of a sudden Ben's in the mix too. Apparently Ben's like super heartbroken over Davey. So he's like, oh, maybe like I want you back. And Paxton's still jealous about Paxton's still, you know, oh I'm giving things away, but like Paxton's like, so anyway, we start seeing Davey in like a, three-way triangle between like choosing between people. And I'm like, that's a little repetitive of season two, where she's choosing between two guys. Now she's choosing between three guys. And I'm like, I get it. Like, I really like it. I understand that, you know, this concept of like her dealing with her father is gone. This concept of her dealing with kind of her family is gone because Kamala is the one who's really dealing with the familial part of it. Like they really rarely ever has family issues in, the, in this season. It's mostly just like her love life and then her coming to terms with herself. Do I think it's well written in the way like it's climaxed to her discovering herself? No. Is it so funny to watch? Absolutely. Will I watch if there's another season? Of course. And I will, now that I've completely finished rambling, I'll let Mira and Michael take over to let you guys know what they think.
2: Well, you know, I, I always enjoy the good old fashioned coming of age story. Like I always enjoy these kinds of series because they're, every one touches on new points that others don't and I think like uh Shreya what you said is um her having to come to terms with herself before she can really pursue like some form of a meaningful relationship that's something that like a lot of people you know going through you know high school in their teen years just like don't understand is like not one how long it takes to you know come to an understanding of who you are and like your your belonging and just like have somewhat of a grasp on that but then two like not knowing like on how that can affect like your actions your behaviors your relationships with people if you don't like think deeply about that and so I I really really want these shows to be pushing more of a message on this because you could go through all these years and in college and then all of a sudden you're in real life and you don't ever think critically about it and it turns into a midlife crisis and Um, So I think it's nice to see that like she's having to go through this and that there is support from like the other characters, like Paxton is obviously supporting her through this um, and, you know, kind of being patient with it while she's having to figure out her own things, you know, on her own without someone really telling or pushing her, pushing her in one direction or another. So that's one thing I really liked about it. um, And I hope it keeps pushing on that theme.
0: What about me, you?
1: So, you know, I watched each and every season so far and i thought this season was a little rushed um i think we're getting to the finale the next season is going to be finale that's going to be her senior year and um i thought that they didn't only concentrate on davy this time around they concentrated on the entire davy davy universe right so um uh, what I loved about that was they gave enough time to Eleanor and her, you know, how she progresses in her relationship with Trent because she doesn't like him when she starts off. She only goes there. She only goes out with him because of his uncle, right? Because she she thought I'll give her give her give her a leg up in her acting career. And then um, the entire quandary that, um, that her other friend, um, Fab, Fab, is in, you know, with her relationship, long distance relationship and her moving on to, ch- to check it out with, with Anissa and then finally settling for another person. So, so that entire process. And then, of course, I didn't see a lot of Ben this season, who I absolutely, absolutely adore. But yeah, he gets it right he he just I mean, let's not ta- let's not give away the spoilers for people who haven't binged it yet but you know ben didn't have so much screen space but he's a winner by the end of it right and then i really liked the indian boy angle because I mean, isn't that so true I cannot get over. Guys?
0: his name guys it's literally nirdesh right it's near the n-i-r-d-e-s-h but because Davy is so like Americanized or naturally like English speaking, she can't pronounce it right. So she calls him Nerdish, which like has the word nerd in it. So she picks him as this like insufferable nerd coming off of sea slug school because he wants to be a marine biologist and she literally goes to her friends and she says hey if you see an Indian nerd walking through the door he's probably my mom's friend and Fab is like well I see an Indian guy walking through the door and he definitely does not look nerdy and he walks in and it's giving like Miss Marvel scenes with like the hottie with the jalebi baby playing in the background and we're just like oh my god like who is that that's how I know he's not single ladies because I actually first thing I did was I was run. high ran to Instagram and I was like is our homeboy single no he's not um but that's exactly the vibes that it gave and I was like I really love this turnaround concept of like taking the POC male fuckboy character and portraying them a hundred percent as like head turning worthy you know like he he made the same kind of entrance that Paxton did and I was like I love that I love that for us
1: Absolutely. Not only that, but he's so such a mama's boy. And that entire, you know, that entire, bo- you know, him and Sarayu Blue, Anirudh, Anirudh pesharadi Sarayu Blue as his mother. That was so funny, but that's so Indian of that woman. I mean, she's she, she's trying to be this very uh, progressive person uh, uh, as, as a facade. But she really thinks that when 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 Davy's having a meltdown, she helps her, but she, but, but she helps her with you know with judging her, right? Mm-hmm. She actually judges her as as loony because she's having a meltdown. And she just doesn't get deeper than that. And mm-hmm. she tells her son, oh, you know, you shouldn't be with her because she's not. She's not the right person for you because, hey, you got through Stanford and we don't know where this kid is going. She's trouble. So, so no, I mean, literally, but that is so true of uh, of the Indian community because they just don't get mental health. They just don't, you know, they, they're very, they're more concerned about how well the children are doing that, you know, where, which school are they going? Were they, you know, whether they're studying harder, you know, it's just crazy how much. How much, how much focus on academics Indian, um, Indian parents have here in America. It's not funny anymore. So A, eh, um, I thought the season was interesting. It was full of a lot of compelling characters and a very engaging story. And there's a character arc that was developed. I absolutely love the school she went to in Colorado. Half, half hoping season, season, <laughs> season four would be there, but she decides not to go in favor of her. So she's come a long way who wanted to have nothing to do with her mother, uh, stays back for her mother, um, senior year in a public school, Sherman Oaks, and uh, she decides not to go to this fancy school for really gifted kids in Colorado. So I thought that was
0: fun. But We hope you missed us because we missed you. We are back with Red, White and Brown by Daisy's.live Dot And... Here's a fun one for you guys. So we, as usual, have watched all of the Indian matchmaking season one. And we, you know, abhor Seema Auntie to the max. We love Nadia. We love the talks about Dyson vacuum cleaners over Zoom or whatever that they were doing. We loved it. At the same time, we hated it because we all know what, you know, Indian matchmaking perpetuates in this concept of like, how does matchmaking even come about? Why we don't like Seema Auntie? all of it. But that is coming from the point of view of Mira and I, who are Indian, like we were actually born and raised in India before we moved here. Now, here's a fun kicker for you guys. We have our token white boy, Michael. (laughs) We love Michael. Michael from Missouri, who has absolutely no idea how any of the Indian matchmaking process even works at all. So we wanted you guys to hear it directly from Michael. What did you think, Michael? What was the show like from your eyes? What did you think about it? Do you actually believe that India does matchmaking like this? No, but before, Michael, you start, I have to tell you guys, Netflix number one
1: has been uh, Never Have I Ever. And Netflix number seven in the U.S. has been Indian matchmaking.
2: Guys, I'm here to talk about the biggest menace to society, which is Seema Auntie. So just so you all know, I did not watch the first season of this I was not even informed about India matchmaking so I had to go back and do my homework a little bit and come to find out that the all-classic character Aparna is back in season season two unfortunately for me so um with that said I don't normally watch these types of reality show tv shows so I didn't know what I was expecting had to change my lens a little bit but let me tell you this show was a fever dream this was a trip I went into watching this, you know, just kind of thinking this would be like keeping up with the Kardashians type sort. But I was just really like challenging, you know, putting some like uncomfortable scenes while watching this. So for those that don't know, like India Matchmaking is a show where we have our star Seema Auntie who comes into the families of the, these characters that are playing in this reality TV show. And she's essentially coming in to find them a match. But the way she goes about it is... Very, I should say, resume-like. So she will ask the people like, what are you looking for? And and they'll just list a bunch of stats. Tall, funny, likes to travel, um, and sometimes really, really, really specific things. The character Parna is a great example of this because she had a list of like 90 demands for a guy um, and simply just wanted them to fall into, the, into her life and into her lifestyle and everything. And Simansi was like, Saying she's treating this like she's ordering off a menu. Right. And so, with that, one thing I noticed right off the bat is Sima Auntie is more interested in, in the parents than she actually is and the person who's looking for the love for, you know, a soulmate. She spends so much time with these parents and, you know, really to accomplish the goal of, you know, finding the best match for the family, almost hedging a bet for these two families. Like, you know, we will find you someone that will keep the family name. Uh, you know going strong will get you married into a good family and that was like one thing that struck me right off the bat right because that's that's not really one way I would necessarily think about this and then when we're watching these characters like talk about their qualities like it was just kind of it was a little cringy to watch just because like you know we all know this when, while we're watching it but like when you're looking for someone to form a relationship with it's not so much that they have this, you find someone that just meets this list of criteria, but that's something I'll dig into later. The characters in the show, in season two at least, um, I actually liked the characters. Now, one thing I will say is that, like, they really gave kind of two buckets for the guys that were in this. One bucket was they were just, they had no personality at all. Like, no personality. They were very dry. They were just, you know, they're making them seem like they weren't a suitable match at all. And then you just go completely to the other end of the spectrum where you have like these guys who are wanting this playboy mansion lifestyle they just want you know a a doll trophy wife um you know i think we in this season we had the investment banker we had the jeweler and everything um so the it was just kind of like a funny dynamic um and just interesting to see like what their needs were but ultimately my favorite character in this and i want you guys to know or Agree, disagree, whatever. I really liked Arshneel, the Sikh from Cleveland. I think he was the, not only the sweetest character, but like after watching all these episodes, I didn't want to watch this guy get his heart broken. He did, he ended up getting a match uh, there at the end. Small spoiler alert. But one thing I want to dive into is Sima Auntie has a terrible track record. I went and looked at season one and none of these people are like, with, with the person she matched them with, right? So, you know, what does this mean about auntie, what does this mean about the way she's going about it i have some thoughts on it but i want to hear what you guys are thinking
0: trio yeah, why didn't you go sure sure y'all when i watched season one i knew the second i was going through it i was like none of these matches will stay together and i had that idea but i think that the crazy thing about it is now we are starting to see what the intention behind this show is. And like, we're starting to she- see it shift, right? So in season one, e- the show was mostly to be like, C- Monty. I'm like the best Indian matchmaker there possibly is. Like, if I can't match you with anyone, then it must be written in your stars that you're going to be single forever, you loser. So like, it was like that, right? And then you get to season two and now it's almost seems like the writers are like, you know what, C- Monty, why don't you actually show us what you got? <laughs> like, you really think you can put them together? You really think so? Are you really the best ba- matchmaker in Mumbai? You tell look me in the eye and actually make it happen. And I'm like, oh, so we're testing her skills now because we realized that she is absolute garbage. I love that we finally come to the realization after like 20 episodes. Now, what I also noticed is that they brought back some of the favorites from season one, not in the intention that they were like, oh, these are like really good characters that we should match make again. They just based off of audience reaction. They looked at like Instagrams and be like, oh, who gained the most followers after season one? Who gained the most fans? Let's just bring all those names back. Who are all the people that this season's um, viewers would want to see single? Like you see, Pradhuman, who's you know, who's the jeweler who wanted the girl who was like a finalist at Feminamis India because he just wanted a trophy wife, right? He wanted someone who was pretty. He was like, I work with jewelry for a living. Like I want a fine jewel in my house. He actually says a line like that in season one, I think. And so they bring him back because at the end of the day, he's a fuck boy, but like, that's still people's type. That's still somebody that like audiences are attracted to. So they brought him back. They brought Nadia, who's like super bubbly and cutesy and like everybody gets along with her and she's the life of the party. And they brought her back it's not like they picked characters that actually added value to the story. They picked characters that they knew the audience really just wants to see. They already liked, they wanted to see. So I have a feeling that they're going to try to keep these people single for as long as they are going to keep making seasons. because they for just for a
2: third season. Yes,
1: yeah, exactly. But these people, these people weren't match. I mean, they're not even working with Sima auntie. I don't know what they were doing in the show. Uh, Perna and Nadia not working with Seema, auntie anymore because... The matches didn't work out. So Berna's doing her own thing, looking for dates on her own as she moved to New York to meet more people, right? Mm-hmm. And and she was the most difficult of her season one clients. What I
0: Also can't get over is like, I love the repetitive jokes that keep coming back where they just keep tackling the same thing over and over and over again, right? The one where she's like, you have to lower your expectations to 50 or 60%. And I think the joke that Mira made guys, she was like, okay, see my auntie, I need a six foot guy. But if you want me to shave off 60%, I'll take a two foot guy. I'll compromise fine. And I like, I couldn't help but laugh at that because that was so funny. That was so funny. She was like, that's about like, where as much as I'm willing to compromise you're looking for a life partner why should you have to settle to 50 or 60 percent I don't even do that on my tests I don't even think I settle for less than like an 80 percent on my exams and like that's like that's just an exam why would I do that with a person I just don't get that mentality I don't like see this is why she never ends up putting her clients in situations she, where she just was- doesn't
1: understand this generation she's working with generations where you know anything would go. But this generation will not, because when they're making a decision, they want to be with the right person because they don't want to end up bearing the cost, the emotional, financial, and other costs. There are too many, too much heartbreak associated with breaking up later. Thank so you. It's- take well, right
2: if I if I may too, like I think one thing I was kind of getting at this, and I don't know if they were intentionally doing this or if it's something like that's implicitly going on, you kind of have to pick up on, but you kind of start to see that like okay not only is she not able to do the job she said she can like with the approach she's taken make me a list of criteria I'll find you someone that kind of fits that but like you start to see that like when it comes to like developing a, a good match like a good relationship that like you start to see that you can't just make criteria for yourself for people to meet and if they you know don't meet a certain checkbox. It, it almost takes us back to uh, Mr. Malcolm's list in a way where if you don't meet a certain tick, then you're just gone. It's one of these things where like both it has to be like a mutual, a mutual thing where both people make changes in their life to fit one another in. Not what um not what what's her name Aparna wanted to do in season one and say, I need someone to just you know be okay with my life and just simply fall like you know fall into the way I'm going about life. It's not quite like that. Like, it has to be a mutual thing where both people are making changes in their lives to fit one another in. And that's something that I noticed here at the end of the show is like, well, maybe this is like the direction they might be going in. Or maybe that it's really just another reality show where they're going to keep these people single and see how many hits they can get. But if it can develop in that way, I think this actually might make for a really, really cool little arc. Who knows?
0: I agree. I think the... The concept of I will say that um, at the very least, they're picking people who are diverse. Like I use that very loosely because they brought in Sheetal this season, who is older and she's in her 30s. Um, I say older in like relation to the rest of the cast, not that she's quite literally like an old person um but she's in her late 30s and she's looking for love and they're like okay you know what like we're gonna we're gonna have some trouble finding something for you I'm like okay not in this generation like people get married later and later and later in their lives I'm like let's say you are somebody who wants to be a neurosurgeon first you have to do undergrad then you have to do your four years of med school then you have to go through seven years of residency that's if you don't want to do any fellowships that's if you don't want to do an intern year that right there takes you into your 32 so what are all these people doing if they want to focus on their studying they just get married later in life like it's really common but the show of course just takes that very normal concept and again makes it like a want to get married in your late 30s like you might as well just die alone at this point like why do you even want to get married nobody wants to marry somebody like that and i'm like oh my god like the over exaggeration of some of these sema auntie criterias in modern day just send me for a whole loop. Just send me for an absolute loop because I'm like, I have so many family members who have gotten married in their late thirties. Like, I'm not talking like one or two off chances. Like a majority of them are choosing to do that. So I'm like, where are they getting these? Like, it's like they take all these Indian ideals and they put them into American society. And they're like, let's hope that these, these like cast types are still perpetuated. I'm like, but they're not, they're literally not. Like how, how this ended up as a top seven, like, show on Netflix is only because I think it's just comedic to watch the drama. Like the same way everybody loves the drama of keeping up with the Kardashians. It's like brain dead humor. You know what I mean? Like you want to feel brain dead at the end of the day. You watch something like this. Like you don't want to think more about it. You're just like, oh it's drama and I love drama. Like that's it.
1: So so I have to tell you there's something very interesting. And I think Sima Auntie needs to understand this because I remember there was um uh, a book in our study material back at Stanford. I was called Everything I Know About Economics I Learned from Online Dating. <laughs> professor, professor Paul Lawyer at uh, Stanford GSB. So he really he took an economist's point of view towards dating and then he compared it to, you know, um, how how that decision making and choosing the right partner happens in people's heads and the decision making is the same decision making that people would do when they picking up real estate so uh, he uh, he actually used economic models to this
0: is this country. the the best possible theory is that the one with the best part where it's like you have four people on four people on this side who wants to want to be matched up with four people on this side but they all have their criteria they're like this person likes this person this person likes this person but this person likes this person they're their second choice kind of thing but you do it in such a way that you don't pair everybody up with their first matches you just you pick who would like what would optimize the maximum amount of happiness throughout the entire group by ending up with each other is that the theory is that what we're um no it's
1: about demand and supply
0: okay well i was totally honest okay, so supply. Supply.
1: i highly recommend this book it is called everything I, ne- I need to know about economics i learned from online dating there's another such book like that i'm forgetting the name of the book but i can send it to you and i can put po- we can post it on our on our social later but, but yes, uh, you know, it, there's a scientific way of doing this. And there's been a lot of studies done on how people choose their life partners. It's not as simple as creating a list and then going to the families of the most probable people. Uh, you know, uh, I especially like the personality of uh, Viral. I mean, I kept calling her viral for, for, for the longest time during the show. But I especially liked her personality overall, and she was so specific about what she wanted. She was clear, and don't we, I mean, as a generation, for our generations, we've been very clear about what we want in life, and it's good to have clarity. How can somebody come and tell you, "Don't be clear," or you know, shave sixty percent off your expectations and still be happy? What was she marrying for?
2: Experience with it, uh, not my typical cup of tea but i think i will be here watching season three so straight from the horse's mouth